0: of human bondage by w somerset Maugham, chapter 100 segment one saturday it was the day on which he had promised to pay his landlady he had been expecting something to turn up all through the week he had found no work he had never been driven to extremities before and he was so dazed that he did not know what to do He had at the back of his mind a feeling that the whole thing was a preposterous joke. He had no more than a few coppers left, and he sold all the clothes he could do without. He had some books, and one or two odds and ends upon which he might have got a shilling or two, but the landlady was keeping an eye on his comings and goings. He was afraid she would stop him if he took anything more from his room. The only thing was to tell her that he could not pay his bill. He had not the courage. It was the middle of June. The night was fine and warm. He made up his mind to stay out. He walked slowly along the Chelsea embankment, because the river was restful and quiet, till he was tired and then sat on a bench and dozed. He did not know how long he slept. He awoke with a start, dreaming that he was being shaken by a policeman and told to move on. But when he opened his eyes, he found himself alone. He walked on, he did not know why, and at last came to Chiswick, where he slept again. Presently the hardness of the bench roused him. The night seemed very long, he shivered, he was seized with a sense of his misery, and he did not know what on earth to do. He was ashamed at having slept on the embankment. It seemed peculiarly humiliating, and he felt his cheeks flush in the darkness. He remembered stories he had heard of those who did and how among them there were officers, clergymen, and men who had been to universities. He wondered if he would become one of them, standing in a line to get soup from a charitable institution. It would be much better to commit suicide. He could not go on like that. Lawson would help him when he knew what straits he was in. It was absurd to let his pride prevent him from asking for assistance. He wondered why he had come such a cropper. He had always tried to do what he thought best, and everything had gone wrong. He had helped people when he could, but he did not think he had been more selfish than anyone else. It seemed horribly unjust that he should be reduced to such a pass. But it was no good thinking about it. He walked on. It was now light. The river was beautiful in the silence, and there was something mysterious in the early day— It was going to be very fine, and the sky, pale in the dawn, was cloudless. He felt very tired, and hunger was gnawing at his entrails, but he could not sit still. He was constantly afraid of being spoken to by a policeman. He dreaded the mortification of that. He felt dirty and wished he could have a wash. At last he found himself at Hampton Court. He felt that if he did not have something to eat, he would cry. He chose a cheap eating house and went in. There was a smell of hot things, and it made him feel slightly sick. He meant to eat something nourishing, enough to keep him up for the rest of the day, but his stomach revolted at the sight of food. He had a cup of tea and some bread and butter. He remembered then that it was Sunday, and he could go to the Athelnes. He thought of the roast beef and the Yorkshire pudding they would eat. But he was fearfully tired and could not face the happy, noisy family. He was feeling morose and wretched. HE WANTED TO BE LEFT ALONE. HE MADE UP HIS MIND THAT HE WOULD GO INTO THE GARDENS OF A PALACE AND LIE DOWN. HIS BONES ACHED. PERHAPS HE WOULD FIND A PUMP SO THAT HE COULD WASH HIS HANDS AND FACE AND DRINK SOMETHING. HE WAS VERY THIRSTY, AND NOW THAT HE WAS NO LONGER HUNGRY, HE THOUGHT WITH PLEASURE OF THE FLOWERS AND THE LAWNS AND THE GREAT LEAFY TREES. HE FELT THAT THERE HE COULD THINK OUT BETTER WHAT HE MUST DO. HE LAY ON THE GRASS, IN THE SHADE, AND LIT HIS PIPE. "'For economy's sake, he had had for a long time confined himself to two pipes a day. "'He was thankful now that his pouch was full. "'He did not know what people did when they had no money. "'Presently he fell asleep. "'When he awoke it was nearly midday, "'and he thought that soon he must be setting out for London "'so as to be there in the early morning "'and answer any advertisements which seemed to promise.' He thought of his uncle, who had told him that he would leave him at his death a little that he had. Philip did not in the least know how much this was. It could not be more than a few hundred pounds. He wondered whether he could raise money on the reversion, not without the old man's consent, and that he would never give. The only thing I can do is to hang on, somehow, till he dies, Philip reckoned his age. The vicar of Blackstable was well over seventy. He had chronic bronchitis, but many old men had that and lived on indefinitely. Meanwhile, something must turn up. Philip could not get away from the feeling that his position was altogether abnormal. People in his particular station did not starve. It was because he could not bring himself to believe in the reality of his experience that he did not give way to utter despair. He made up his mind to borrow half a sovereign from Lawson. He stayed in the garden all day and smoked when he felt hungry. He did not mean to eat anything until he was setting out again for London. It was a long way, and he must keep up his strength for that. He started when the day began to grow cooler and slept on benches when he was tired. No one disturbed him. He had a wash and brush-up, and a shave at Victoria, some tea and bread and butter, and while he was eating this, read the advertisement columns of the morning paper. As he looked down them, his eye fell upon an announcement asking for a salesman in the furnishing drapery department of some well-known stores. He had a curious little sinking in his his heart, for with his middle-class prejudices, it seemed dreadful to go into a shop. But he shrugged his shoulders, after all, what did that matter? And he made up his mind to have a shot at it. He had a queer feeling that by accepting every humiliation, by going out to meet it even, he was forcing the hand of fate. When he presented himself, feeling horribly shy, in the department at nine o'clock, He found that many others were there before him. They were of all ages, from boys of sixteen to men of forty. Some were talking to one another in undertones, but most were silent. And when he took up his place around those, they gave him a look of hostility. He heard one man say, The only thing I look forward to is getting my refusal soon enough to give me time to look elsewhere. The man standing next to him glanced at Philip and asked, Had any experience? No, said Philip. "'He paused a moment and then made a remark. "'Even the smaller houses won't see you without an appointment after lunch.' "'Philip looked at the assistants. "'Some were draping chintzes and cretons, and others, his neighbor told him, "'were preparing country orders that had come in by post. "'At about a quarter past nine, the buyer arrived. "'He heard one of the men who were waiting say to another that it was Mr. Gibbons.' He was middle-aged, short and corpulent, with a black beard and dark, greasy hair. He had brisk movements and a clever face. He wore a silk hat and a frock coat, the lapel of which was adorned with a white geranium surrounded by leaves. He went into his office, leaving the door open, and it was very small and contained only an American roll desk in the corner a bookcase, and a cupboard. The men standing outside watched him mechanically take the geranium out of his coat and put in it an ink pot filled with water. It was against the rules to wear flowers and business. During the day, the department men who wanted to keep in with the governor admired the flower. "'I've never seen any better,' they said. "'You didn't grow it yourself.' "'Yes, I did,' he smiled, and a gleam of pride filled his intelligent eyes. He took off his hat and changed his coat, glanced at the letters, and then at the men who were waiting to see him. He made a slight sign with one finger, and the first in the queue stepped into the office. They filed past him one by one and answered his questions. He put them very briefly, keeping his eyes fixed on the applicant's face. "'Age? Experience? Why did you leave your job?' He listened to the replies without expression. When it came Philip's turn, he fancied that Mr. Gibbons stared at him curiously. Philip's clothes were neat and tolerably cut. He looked a little different from the others. "'Experience? I'm afraid I haven't any,' said Philip." no good. Philip walked out of the office. The ordeal had been so much less painful than he expected that he felt no particular disappointment. He could hardly hope to succeed in getting a place the first time he tried. He had kept the newspaper and now looked at the advertisements again. A shop in Holborn needed a salesman, too, and he went there. But when he arrived, he found that someone had already been engaged." If he wanted to get anything to eat that day, he must go to Lawson's studio before he went out to luncheon, so he made his way along the Brumpton Road to Yeoman's Row. "'I say, I'm rather broke to the end of the month,' he said as soon as he found an opportunity. "'I wish you'd lend me half a sovereign, will you?' It was incredible the difficulty he found in asking for money, and he remembered the casual way, as though almost... They were conferring a favor. Men at the hospital had extracted small sums out of him, which they had no intention of repaying. Like a shot, said Lawson. But when he put his hand in his pocket, he found that he had only eight shillings. Philip's heart sank. Oh, well, lend me five bob, will you? He said lightly. Here you are. Philip went to the public bath in Westminster and spent sixpence on a bath. "'Then he got himself something to eat. "'He did not know what to do with himself in the afternoon. "'He would not go back to the hospital "'in case anyone should ask him questions, "'and besides, he had nothing to do there now. "'They would wonder in the two or three departments "'he had worked in why he did not come, "'but they must think what they chose, it did not matter. "'He would not be the first student "'who had dropped out without warning.' He went to the free library and looked at the papers till they wearied him. Then he took out Stevenson's New Arabian Nights, but he found he could not read. The words meant nothing to him, and he continued to brood over his helplessness. He kept on thinking the same things all the time, and the fixity of his thoughts made his head ache. At last, craving for fresh air, he went into the green park and lay down on the grass. He thought miserably of his deformity, which made it impossible for him to go to the war. He went to sleep and dreamed that he was suddenly sound afoot and out at the Cape in a regiment of yeomanry. The pictures he had looked at in the illustrated papers gave materials for his fancy, and he saw himself on the veldt and khaki, sitting with other men round a fire at night. When he awoke, he found that it was still quite light, and presently he heard Big Ben strike seven. He had twelve hours to get through with nothing to do. He dreaded the interminable night. The sky was overcast, and he feared it would rain. He would have to go to a lodging house where he could get a bed. He had seen them advertised on lamps outside houses in Lambeth. Good beds, sixpence he had never been inside one, and dreaded the foul smell and the vermin. He made up his mind to stay in the open air if he possibly could. He remained in the park till it was closed, and then began to walk about. He was very tired. The thought came to him that an accident would be a piece of luck, so that he could be taken to a hospital and lie there in a clean bed for weeks." At midnight, he was so hungry that he could not go without food anymore, so he went to a coffee stall at Hyde Park Corner and ate a couple of potatoes and had a cup of coffee. Then he walked again. He felt too restless to sleep, and he had a horrible dread of being moved on by the police. He noted that he was beginning to look upon the constable from quite a new angle. This was the third night he had spent out. Now and then he sat on the benches in Piccadilly, and towards morning he strolled down to the embankment. He listened to the striking of Big Ben, marking every quarter of an hour, and reckoned out how long it left till the city woke again. In the morning he spent a few coppers on making himself neat and clean, bought a paper to read the advertisements, and set out once more on the search for work." He went on this way for several days. End of segment one. Chapter 100, segment two. He had very little food, and began to feel weak and ill, so that he had hardly enough energy to go on looking for the work which seemed so desperately hard to find. He was growing used now to the long waiting at the back of a shop, on the chance that he would be taken on, and the curt dismissal. He walked to all parts of London in answer to the advertisements, and he came to know by sight men who applied as fruitlessly as himself." one or two tried to make friends with him but he was too tired and too wretched to accept their advances he did not go any more to lawson because he owed him five shillings he began to be too dazed to think clearly and ceased very much to care what would happen to him he cried a good deal at first he was very angry with himself for this and ashamed but he found it relieved him and somehow made him feel less hungry in the very early morning he suffered a good deal from cold One night he went into his room to change his linen. He slipped in about three, when he was quite sure everyone would be asleep, and out again at five. He lay on the bed, and its softness was enchanting. All his bones ached. As he lay there he reveled in the pleasure of it. It was so delicious that he did not want to go to sleep. He was growing used to the want of food, and did not feel very hungry, but only weak constantly now at the back of his mind was the thought of doing away with himself, but he used all the strength he had not to dwell on it, because he was afraid the temptation would get hold of him, so that he would not be able to help himself. He kept on saying to himself that it would be absurd to commit suicide, since something must soon happen.' He could not get over the impression that his situation was too preposterous to be taken quite seriously. It was like an illness which must be endured, but from which he was bound to recover. Every night he swore that nothing would induce him to put up with such another, and determine next morning to write to his uncle, or to Mr. Nixon, the solicitor, or to Lawson. But when time came he could not bring himself to make the humiliating confession of his utter failure. He did not know how Lawson would take it. In their friendship, Lawson had been scatterbrained, and he had prided himself on common sense. He would have to tell the whole history of his folly. He had an uneasy feeling that Lawson, after helping him, would turn the cold shoulder on him. His uncle and the solicitor would, of course, do something for him, but he dreaded their reproaches. He did not want anyone to reproach him. His clenched He clenched his teeth and repeated that, What had happened was inevitable just because it had happened. Regret was absurd. The days were unending, and the five shillings Lawson had lent him would not last much longer. Philip longed for Sunday to come so that he could go to Athelny's. He did not know what prevented him from going there sooner, except perhaps that he wanted so badly to get through on his own, for Athelny, who had been in straits and desperate, was the only person who could do anything for him. Perhaps after dinner he could bring himself to tell Athelny that he was in difficulties. Philip repeated to himself over and over again what he should say to him. He was dreadfully afraid that Athelny would put him off with airy phrases that would be so horrible that he wanted to delay as long as possible the putting of him to the test. Philip had lost all confidence in his fellows. Saturday night was cold and raw. Philip suffered horribly. From midday on Saturday, till he dragged himself wearily to Ethelny's house, he ate nothing. He spent his last two pence on Sunday morning on a wash and a brush up in the laboratory at Charing Cross. End of segment two.